where are you from? Um, originally, I'm from Israel. Where in Israel? Um, from the south, from near Be'er Sheva, if you know. I don't. Have you been there? You know, you no. know actually, I had the, as a Jew, you get like the birthright thing. Yeah. Uh, and I know a bunch of people who were like, oh my God, free trip to Israel, let's do it. Yeah. But then I kind of like looked into it a little bit more, and I was like, this this sounds like a... Like, like a propaganda, total, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Is I mean, it? Is that the way it is? Oh, it's totally. Like to yeah, propaganda. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And like a couple of my friends came back, like diehard Zionists. Yeah, like brainwashy. Yeah, you know, like I'm not going to say straight up brainwashed because they're still other than that, but it's like Whoa, slightly delusional. The, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I'm like, well, Jesus. Yeah. So I, uh, so I've never been to Israel, and I skipped out on the birthright thing. Yeah. No, yeah. they actually like planets in in like a way to. Uh, wash your brain like literally they like exhaust you and give you like very contrasting emotional experiences and there's like a whole science to how they do it it's it's pretty crazy <laughs> like the, yeah part of me is like really so wait there's like a there's really like a science to it huh yeah yeah absolutely ah see i knew i was good for avoiding it yeah yeah that's that's totally the smart decision i think um i mean a lot of people also like go and then do a birthright unplugged you know and kind of just stay there and like go to the west bank and and kind of see for themselves um, but I are think, you allowed to do that though? As an American, yeah. I mean, you're you're allowed to extend your vacation. You don't need to tell anyone what what you're going to do with it, right? Oh, you mean like after they do the like brainwashy yeah. stuff, then they yeah. just I'm just going to stay and then right. see what things are like for real. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But do you get a lot of Americans there? Do you see like like Israel? tourists? Yeah, like tourists. Um. Yeah, you see quite a bit. Okay. Yeah. I never went for that. I never bought into it. I was like, why is it free? I was right, so exactly. skeptical. It's I was like, what, what, what do you mean? Like, if, yeah. Yeah. If they made it like a discount, you know, like maybe I'd be like, I'd be like, oh, I can, I get it. Like, you kind of want to do this thing, but at the same time, like, you need to make it, you know, sustainable. But I'm like, yeah. where's this money coming from? Yeah. You know? No, it's really about bringing these people, showing them this very sterile picture of what Israel is, and then sending them back to the world as, as little ambassadors, you know, you know, for the Zionist cause, wow. basically. Really? Yeah. When did you leave? Uh, when I was 25. So you were there for a long... You were there for... Oh, yeah, for most of, most of my life. Yeah. How old are you yeah. now? So 20... You're 30. 20... You're 30 now. Okay. Yeah. Holy crap. Okay. <laughs> so... Uh, so I was there. I grew up in the South. I started playing piano when I was 12 and started composing kind of at the same time, basically, as, as soon as I could write notes. I did my undergrad there at the Jerusalem Academy. Um, I studied with um, Inam Leif and um, Mal Kopitman, who's a former Russian composer that immigrated uh, to Israel in the late 60s or early 70s. And then I was, you know, I ended my undergrad there and was kind of facing the choice between going to Europe and the United States to continue my studies, which is really what the overwhelming majority of classical musicians do, not only composers, but, but also musicians. What, like in Israel, you mean? Yeah, they like go somewhere to do more training um i know so many israelis in berlin it's oh crazy God, yeah i mean musicians yeah you know yeah not just composers like conductors and yeah violists and pianists and totally yeah. yeah okay so you chose so i chose the states uh back then you know I, I was kind of facing like a very i mean obviously it's like a very broad and, and generalized thing to think about europe versus the states but you know it's kind of useful when you need to make a decision. And it seemed to me, I, I spent quite a few summers in Europe before then uh, doing like summer programs and stuff like that. What kind of summer programs? Royaumont and, uh, you know, the one in France. Yeah. And um, I did something in Tyrol, Avant-Garde Tyrol in, in Austria. Uh, I did uh, a thing in Romania with uh, Doina Rotaru and uh, a bunch of other places, Germany also. So I felt like the U.S., was kind of fundamentally a more pluralistic scene than what I had experienced in um, Europe. And kind of for better or worse. For better because I think ideologically that's kind of where, that's like the only environment that I want to be in. But then once you're there, it can be a little isolating because sort of everything goes, you know, everything is fine. And um, like my training back in Israel with uh, Mark Kopitman, um, he was like a very, very devoted, but kind of conservative in his approach. You know, it's like, you can't do this, you know, you need to do that. And I, for me back then as a student, that was great, you know, because I, I didn't, I wouldn't always agree with what he had to Give say. Give me an example of this and that. 
Oh, I mean, it's just like very, um, quite a narrow way to think of what music is or, or, or should be at this time. What know? was this, like notes on a page and functional yeah. harmony? Or well, like... not functional harmony, but yeah, but, but very much like, you know, starting with the motive and developing it. Um, oh, wow, that's pretty old school. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, this is someone who, you know, is a wonderful composer. And much of it is rooted actually in like the study of counterpoint and horizontal movement um, in his own work. But, but beyond the details, I think it was great for me to have someone that had something very concrete to offer, you know? Like, I knew that these were the things that I can study from this person, and this, these are things that I probably won't agree with, and, and that's fine. What's the scene like there? What are you exposed to going there? Was there something about the scene there that made you feel like you had to go to these European centers to figure out what was going on there? Exposure-wise and stylistically, what are composers about there? Yeah. So I think... Well, first of all, I haven't been there now for five years. I'm, I mean, I, I mean, I go, okay. yeah, I, go I go to visit, and things change, but, but things yeah. have changed. I, I think in terms of like going, that's kind of just the you know, it's like the most obvious thing to do. I I can hardly think of any composer um, that works in Israel that I know that hasn't gone to study somewhere. Um, I I have like one example in my in my head, and that's someone that immigrated himself to Israel. You know, okay. Um, so it's it, it on a certain level, it's just like the thing to do. I mean, there's no uh, PhD or DMA programs for composition in Israel. Actually, now there's one, but there there weren't back then. And uh, in terms of exposure, I, it, it's interesting because um, things have really changed now. I think because of internet, which obviously existed five years ago, but like YouTube wasn't what it is today. You know, like in terms of new music, when I started my studies. 10 years ago, you know, it, it wasn't this vast, enormous library where you can find basically anything you're looking yeah, you for. You can't, you can't YouTube, you couldn't YouTube lock them on five years ago. Right, and, exactly. Or like, and get every one of his string quartets that exactly. you didn't know about before. Right. Yeah. And some of them come up with scores, you know, like on YouTube, which, which is totally crazy. Yeah, that's mind blowing, huh? Like, this is perfect. It is. Yeah, it is. Um, you and, can't even lose place of a score. Like right. sometimes you like you like you like zone out, or you like you look at something for a little bit. Yeah, and then you like lose place. You're like, oh, where am I? I'm like, it's turning pages for me. Right, yeah. right, exactly. So library-wise, there was just a lot of things that were absent. Um, like I didn't really know the music of people like Grise or Sharino uh, when I was there. You know, I knew about like Ludoslavsky and Ligeti. There was definitely like a, a problem of like getting access to to information in this way, you know, to recordings and scores, mostly. I mean, scores obviously are very expensive and, and those institutions in Israel don't have a, a big budget to just get things. So you're saying it's different now, now that people actually had the exposure, but back then you didn't know about any of those composers. Yeah, I think now people have the option of exposing themselves if they choose to. Okay. Yeah, and, and more easily, let's say. So this is what it was like in Israel for the summers you would leave, would you discover these composers over the summer? Or, I mean, not the summers, but like when you would leave to go to Europe, you would discover these composers, right? Yeah. yeah so then definitely. what did that spark, like what did that spark in you? How did that change your music? I think it sort of went both ways. Um, like some things I found really inspiring and, you know, that I wanted to know more about and to explore. Um, and other things were off-putting too because of the same kind of like, conservatism and like limited ideas of what new music should be that that I also felt like maybe especially like coming from Israel and feeling a little bit disadvantaged you know compared to other composers my age because I you know I didn't grow up like listening to Grise and Sharina right neither did so. oh maybe some of them did I don't know if that's necessarily a disadvantage I mean it could, could possibly be a disadvantage for right. them no yeah, yeah I, I don't think it actually is I mean it's you know whatever that's my life but you know that was like the experience I had when I was, you know, 20 and going to these festivals and suddenly encountering this, you know, this world that I didn't know much about. What puts you off about it? I think the ideology, you know, like, like really either kind of 19th century romantic ideas of what musical experience is, what a composer should be and so on, or like the high modernist ideology of... You know, the fear of beauty, the fear of cliches, the like those kinds of, of really castrating ideas that are floating around. And 
I think that that a lot of people are actually constrained and limited by them. You still do you think you still bump up against that when you're like at a festival like this? Don't you still feel like you're bumping up against that? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. How do you how do you navigate? Because right now you're surrounded by those people. I might be one of them. You don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> a closeted high modernist. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm I'm not, but you're now trying to exist in a scene. Like that's the that's the prevailing attitude, or at least you're going to come up against a lot of people that have that attitude. It, is it though? I mean, I, I I don't know. Like that's that's sort of the image that I had, you know, like five years ago when I okay. chose to go to the states. I think once you're actually in a place. Um, then you align yourself with people that are interested in what you do and you're interested in what they do. And, and that's kind of the only thing that matters. And hopefully that works out, you know, like that's, that's kind of, I think what everybody's looking for. But you just, but you just got here. So have you found people yet? Um, yeah. I mean, I spent the summer in Berlin, you know, I have, I have a good friend there, Bnei Halperin, who's also a, an Israeli composer, um, who's a little bit younger. We kind of like coached each other over the summer, like each with our own projects, that we were working on and had like improvisation sessions together, which is something that I hadn't done for, for years. I what think. instrument do you play? Piano. Okay. So in that sense, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's not a scene yet. It's not like, it's not a big thing, but, it, but it's actually a lot because, because you don't need much. I think you need like real resonance with someone at a certain, you know, at like every given moment. So that's your strategy just to, just to find the people, just find the so. right people. Yeah. Anyway, so you were in Israel. I'm sorry, I'm kind of like going back and no, forth fine. historically. It's better not to go completely linear anyway. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. This is not, these things never end up being linear. So then you're in the States. Yeah. You, originally, you originally decided to go there because of your experiences visiting European festivals and you, your assumption that the States were very pluralistic. And then you said you found out that there were, you kind of had a problem with that. And you were in Ithaca, New York. I was in Ithaca, New York, yeah. I went to Cornell. Yeah. And which I think very much fits what I had in mind, actually, because, you know, you can think about schools like Columbia or San Diego, um, which which kind of have like a... But those are the European versions right. of, uh, you know... Right, yeah. right. Which, which by the, I mean, I, I did a semester at Columbia, and, and I think that school in particular actually produces like amazing work from the composition department. So it's not like... Like, I don't want to come off as, as being arrogant or like against that. It's actually like I admire a lot of uh, those people's work but ideologically i i find it difficult to agree with you know with what they think this, with this how was, they understand their, their role in the world or you know or making music describe that to me without talking smack well it's basically this idea you know that that the audience needs to suffer <laughs> you know like most broad, like broadly speaking like that that anything okay so i have like i have personally like a very um contrary tendency which, which I actually feel like I need to be working on in my own music because I, I'm a bit too much like a tourist guide where, where I, like, I want to take the listener by the hand and like show him around and be like, oh, look over there. Can you hear that? That's really cool right now. And, and like, I don't want to get rid of that altogether, but I think that sometimes it can produce work that it's, that's a little too simple or not layered enough. Or people might even consider that pandering if it's not done, if it's not done well. Yeah. Right. And you say they're the opposite where? The opposite would be, yeah, like really creating an experience for the audience where they feel lost over time and trying to avoid anything that won't produce that experience. So yeah, so Cornell does fit that pluralistic model that I had in mind. And I had a really good time there, actually. There's like a small, um, more experimental scene there that's, uh, that's kind of surrounded around or with Kevin Ernst, who's the uh, younger professor there, who does uh, mostly electronic, I mean, also acoustic, but um, usually uses electronics too. When you say scene, do you mean academic scene or literally like people would come to these electronic music concerts, like either the students or the strange Ithaca hippies that exist there? Yeah, I mean, from what I know, it's mostly um, like at Cornell, but it does spill over. It definitely does spill over, and and that that scene in particular actually has that capacity. Spill over to Ithaca, or yeah. spill over to like no, no, I mean like Ithaca College, or spill no, over. No, spill over to, to like... the community, to the community of Ithaca itself, to other musicians that are active in town, or um, or, or or it would raise interest. I think that other concerts on campus won't, you know. That... And this is the experimental, yeah, 
So there's um, there's Kevin Ernst, and then there's an ensemble of improvisers called Cage, the Cornell avant-garde ensemble, um, which includes Andy Lewandowski, who's an improviser pianist, and uh, Thailand Chihan, who's a composer, one of my colleagues at Cornell. I actually have no idea what's going on at that school. This sounds interesting. Yeah, it definitely is. So did you have a you, you thought that was a good environment there, or you said you eventually got frustrated that oh, it's anything goes. Right, you wanted a little I bit think that more, was more yes and no's. I think that was more my initial kind of landing there in in what was very different from my previous experiences because it was in English, it was, you know, like an American academic culture. It was my first time actually studying at a university altogether, you know, because I studied at a conservatory. Oh, yeah, that, no, that's know, always so like, a big difference. There were so many things to kind of bridge. And I think that initially I was a bit lost. Um, and And then I kind of, Found my way. I, I at least felt for a while, you know, towards the end of my stay there. What do you mean lost? Like you didn't know how to navigate anything, or well, more in my own work, I think. You okay. know, which which kind of makes sense. Like I I came there and I wrote this piece, "The Cat Saved My Life," this like song cycle, which is like a fairly traditional, you know, cycle of songs, and it was premiered in Israel like the end of that year in May, and kind of like the gamut of composers in Israel that that I've interacted with approved you know like so like every end of the spectrum that I know in Israel liked that piece and and I think that was very interesting and 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 you know starting after that I kind of broke off with that so in other words when I first came to the states I was still like very much the the composition student that I was in Jerusalem and I was like thinking about the same ideas. Can you describe and, some of those ideas for me? Like what, can you describe what the composition student in Jerusalem was like? Yeah, going back to Kopitman, to that teacher that I worked with. So, you know, it was very much like, like the the work process that I do now is is very different. Then it was really like starting with a motive and the songs are all very short. There's harmony um, in a way that, that is not really existing anymore in my music right now. There's no like deconstruction of the of the text. Um, there's no, there's actually even no melismas in in the piece. You know, it's like a half hour. <laughs> it's a thirty minute long piece, and like the 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 text is so important for me, and it still is in my work when I use text. That that's again the the tour guide. From a perspective of looking at my work, I kind of think about it now as like having these peaks where I reach a point where I kind of write the music I should be writing at that moment, you know, for myself. And that's be that has a quality that is beyond like these stylistic questions. 
Um, so I think that piece was a piece like that, actually, where like I was totally into it. You know, I, I, I was excited about it just like when I was 13, you know, yeah. <laughs> and doing like making the first. It was just like the excitement of making something. So, so in that sense, it's a piece that, yeah, I have no problem like showing it. It's interesting, actually, because I, I had planned on continuing with this work and, and like writing more songs and expanding and not really making it a cycle, but more like a book of songs. Um, and that never happened, I think, because I kind of quickly became displeased with the idea of like continuing in this direction and, and doing more of the same. And... And then there was like a, a, a period where I was kind of searching and like not feeling the same kind of connection to my work that, that I did with the song cycle. Kind of just like, yeah, being lost in that way that, that, that brought us to this piece. And one of the things that I did was, was try to take um, a lot of limitation in the work, almost like an exercise you know, write a piece for a percussion with no pitch and a piece that's uh, only one pitch, you know. Um, so I have like that one pitch piece. Everybody's got a one pitch piece. You have to have one, you know. <laughs> so, but for me, it's like um, I had it in, in, in a point where I, I was taking things off. Like I didn't know what I wanted to write, but I knew like what I didn't want to write, you know. So I, I kind of like... <laughs> melted it down to this one pitch why did you feel that way about it though what about you know what, what about that old kind of what about those songs at some point where you they, even though it, you were getting approval which which i think counts for something but obviously very kind of marginal thing about if you're happy with yourself you know but like what about it where you're like i don't like this and i don't want to do this anymore and i have to find something else and because that i have to go on this journey where i give myself all these exercises of i can't do this i can't do that I don't know. I mean, I think the end, like to genuinely answer that question, I'll like need to go into like therapy for 10 years and come back with an answer, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> you know, because you this people whole. People say that, but I think you have to have some. Like, you can't. You can't no, no, I can, I can say like, things. Meh. No, yeah. no, I'll, I'll, I'll say things. I'm not, I'm not evading the answering the question. I just think that, you know, whatever I can say is, is like limited. It's probably not like the full picture because I think it's like a very complicated question of like what makes us feel like we have to change all the time and reinvent ourselves and not just be happy making things, you know, which, which is all I wanted to do, you know, when I was 12, like, you know, yeah, I think it was a few things. I, I think it was actually, so Europe never stopped being part of, of what I'm interested to rub myself against, um, you know, those ideologies. And so I, in between, I like, I did a semester at Columbia studying with Fabian Levy, who was a really terrific teacher. I did an interview with him. He's a brilliant guy. I heard it, yeah. That's yeah. actually how I came across your, your show initially. Was, oh, okay. Was, well, he sent out like an email, some weird exactly. email he said. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I did a project with Klangnetz, the Berlin-based, what is it? A collective of, collective, of composer, yeah. Yeah. composers. Um, they did a project in 2010. That was another kind of point of, of confrontation. Like, I wasn't very happy with the piece that I wrote for that project. It, it, that's like kind of from that time in my work that I'm describing where I kind of know what I don't want to do more than I know what I do want to do. Then in 2011, I also did Tzlil Khan, which is Chaya Chernovin and Steve Takasogi, um, the, the workshop that they do in Israel that they started doing like two years ago or three years ago. Yeah. So I think there are these like signposts that you can kind of, that I can easily like give as examples. And, and, and obviously for each of those, I, I made a choice to be, you know, to put myself in that environment as part of my search, I think. I guess, like, what it comes down to is feeling like I'm, like I'm making music for that song cycle, let's say. Like, you know, I'm making music in a tradition that's not really my tradition, that's not really relevant to contemporary life or to contemporary society. That there are so many, you know, it, it talks to a lot of, music that I love, that I like, but there are so many assumptions that are kind of taken for granted, you know, stylistically in terms of the orchestration, in terms of, of, of the, um, the presentation to the public of the work of, you know, like what an opera singer should sound like, you know, how Hebrew sounds in her mouth, you know, because the, the song cycle is in Hebrew. I think part of what I'm frustrated with, and that's true for contemporary music by and large, is, is, is that disconnect that, that we're having from the rest of of cultural production yeah. in the societies that, that we live in. 
Um, and, and, and part of like moving to Berlin and to Germany this year and being in Europe is like trying to, to find something a little different, you know, because, because at Cornell, it's, it's like a very closed environment and it's wonderful to be there. It's very nourishing and protected, but it's also, it, it, it has exactly that disconnect, you know, it's like up there on the hill and, you know, it's quite literally, I think, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. very literally. Yeah. yeah. So, so that's true for, for contemporary music by and large, but, but also I think that reflects for, for that older music that I used to write. I think like the question for me always is like, who am I actually serving by making this music? Like what, what is it good for like in the world? You know, <laughs> what am I actually like adding or contributing? Not, not in the sense of like originality necessarily or anything like that, but just like, what's the value of this? Okay. So how did you adjust your music to better answer that question? So then I think at a certain point I reached like another plateau of like, of like feeling like I'm doing the work that I should be doing. And um, that was in my third year, I think, third and fourth years at, at Cornell. And a lot of it was influenced by my work with Kevin Ernst and, um, and just by being around those uh, people that I mentioned. And I started working directly with sound more. So, you know, sound became like the, the substance that I work with more directly than pitch. And that meant to be working with the instruments directly myself, which was like a huge step for me. Um, because before, you know, I, I would consult players or books and instead you would, or websites. Yeah, now you'd get a hand on a violin and exactly. like, you know, bow it on the peg and be like, and listen to it carefully and be like, oh, yeah. okay, I can write a piece out of this. Yeah. And at, so that's, that's sort of one, one part of the solution. And the, the other part was to try and like bring together other parts of my doing into the musical one. So that's, you know, kind of thinking about the song cycle you know, might have been more separate in that way. And, and here I, I kind of try to bring other parts of my personality or interests into the work itself. And in that way, maybe evade or, or maybe um, a more generous way to think about it is uh, transcend like stylistic questions of like agonizing over what music should be in 2000 and whatever it was, 12, you know, but have something that you're passionate about and write music that serves that. And then that question becomes irrelevant. Your interests go more into the direction of getting your hands on instruments and sounds. What, con what technical conclusions do you come to about how you want to, like how would you use a violin now? So in a lot of my music since then, uh, pitch actually becomes really secondary and notation shifts from representing pitch to representing action not completely, not entirely. It's it's still kind of based on. I mean, I mean, obviously, notation at the end of the day needs to represent something in the clearest and the most simple way and convey it to the musicians. And so, different pieces have different solutions too. But but basically, rather than representing the the, the actual sound in the room, it represents the actions. Okay. More. So it's like a pitch tablature hybrid, almost. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And there's much more openness too. So I let go of a lot of like control stuff and rely on the musicians, like understanding the really understanding the basic ideas and what's really important at a given moment in the music and then conveying, like trusting them to do that and also bring into the piece ideas that are beyond myself, you know, the stuff that I wouldn't think about. Um, so, so for instance, I can talk about that more actually, because it relates both to the piece that, that is going to be performed here tonight and also other projects where I wrote this flute concerto last year with the flutist, soloist, in a collaboration, which, which was the first time for me to do it in this way, which wasn't like, you know, a few hour sessions of, of trying things out on the flute, but, but really having him, uh, Roy Amos is the name of the flutist, he's, he's the flutist of Meital Ensemble in Israel, really have him be um, part of the creative process right from the beginning. So it started with improvisation sessions that, that we kind of did together, him on the flute, and I was recording and, you know, was saying, try this, try that, what about this? And then kind of like discovering things together, you know, we'll have these moments where we would both agree that, that this is like a really cool material that we can use in, in this way. And going all the way to the editing of the recording itself, which, which actually he did in Israel with a sound person, because okay. I wasn't there anymore, you know. So like that kind of collaborative approach, 
to go back to the to the like bringing ideas into the piece, I, I you know I can kind of talk about specific pieces and and give examples, which I think might be useful. So like for the piece that's performed here at Gaudiamus, um, the piece is scored for prepared string quartets and uh, three gamelan players and electronics, and um, it's a tribute to Edward Said. So um, it actually uses his voice. And like that's the electronic part is basically just a, a fixed media part um, where he talks. Uh, uh, it's like excerpts from an interview where he talks. He actually talks about Israel Palestine, but I kind of edited that out because he talks about principles that are that are general. You know that that, that actually can be applied to so many situations. Oh, you edited it out not to avoid any kind of political, you know, uh, controversy, but you edited it out just to because you thought it was true enough that it could be expanded to yeah. anything yeah. else so why have it be about a specific thing instead of right okay right i mean i think i think you you lose something if you make it too specific because then people can kind of like lose sight of the actual meaning you know and, and i think that it's like specific to a certain situation and not necessarily like see that that it's actually you know can be applied I don't to them agree too. with that not if it's done well you know, if it's, if it's done well, then people will see a situation and have to compare it to other situations that they're in. Yeah. You know? I, mean, I mean, I think with like political stuff, which I'm really, really interested in, um, in incorporating in my work, I, I do have, it's always like a bit of a struggle to find the right balance, you know, between how much, and again, it's like the tour guide, like how much, like on the one hand, I think like politically, it's actually really important to say very explicit and clear things. But then, you know, in, in art and in music, sometimes that can be very simplistic, you know, or, or like rob like a whole array of meanings it, that a word can have. It can, can come have. off as condescending and insulting yeah. if you're like, you know, if, if you make too strong of a statement. And also, but also so like, obvious if you make such a clear statement. Right, right, know? right, exactly. And, and I think this piece actually for a lot of people, you know, is over the top in that sense. I think it, it, it is, you know, for some people it, it might be too clear already the way it is. You know, even even though he says general things that are not related to a you know place and time in history, um, but in any case, what he talks about is that this idea of kind of understanding your own history through or in relation to other people's history as a way to transcend the past and present of great violence between these groups of people, and you know it was very fitting for the project because the. The, the project was at the outset was for Gamelan and String Quartet, and I really wanted to make that the theme of the piece and not to sort of like take it for granted that those two ensembles are sitting on stage um, and making music together, but, but kind of poke at what that might mean in and of itself. How did you approach the orchestration? Were they always separate? In or, like, did you try and make them explicitly two separate entities yes and in no. the actual music? I, I hope that the piece goes through both, kind of through both options. At the outset, the the strings are prepared with like little clips and stuff on the strings, um, so they they lose their harmonic spectrums. Especially when plucked, they actually sound a little like gongs. So they kind of come, you know, way closer to the metallophones of, of that the gamelan is sonority is kind of uh, characterized by. And then there are you know there are kind of small specific things which I find like equivalent as like a certain sound in the gamelan and a certain sound in the strings and little things like that. Like the piece is set as like a, almost like a theater where there is this encounter between the two ensembles and the result is an added sonic possibility for everyone. So at the end of the piece, the the strings which were already like gong gongified right with the preparation, um, move to actually play on gongs. And that's how they end the, the piece and the gamelan player's bow, the, the gamelan instruments. It's pretty explicit. It is very explicit. Yeah. I mean, I hope that it works musically too. And, you know, and that, 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 that degree of explicitness is justified by good music, you know, so that it, it, it's not like crude or anything. Thank you. 
And this seems to me to be the, the, the most interesting sort of human task. It's the task of interpretation. It's the task of giving history some shape and sense. For a particular reason, to understand my history in terms of other people's history, in other words, to try to understand, to general, to move beyond, to generalize one's own individual experience and the experience of others. Thank you. 
challenge now is, is the challenge, I, I wouldn't call it um, anything other than coexistence. How, how does one coexist with people whose religions are different, whose uh, traditions and languages are different, but who, are, who form part of the same community or polity? Uh, how do we accept difference without violence and hostility? What makes you gravitate towards political, at the very least, implications in their music? Um, I think it's what I was talking about earlier, about this um, wanting to bring together different parts of my doing. I'm interested in politics, not, not in the like, parliament of the world sense <laughs> of politics, but, but kind of I, like, I think very politically and I try to be very aware of like, hierarchies and power, you know, even if it's like a bunch of composers sitting around a table. And I view myself as, you know, as someone who had a lot of privilege in life. And I think I see that as a responsibility to to use that privilege for the sake of other people who don't have the same political empowerment to raise a fuss. And that's kind of the prism in which you see everything then is what you're saying. So like you sit down on a table and it could be it could be four upper middle class like white composers Right. And they could all be of a different age. And then you're looking at that situation and you're like, you're analyzing it in, in, a, in, in a political way. Who's got leverage over who because he won this or whatever the situation is. You're trying to analyze that. Yeah. I mean, I'm not thinking about it 100% of the time, but I'm, I'm, trying, not, I'm, I'm trying to be aware of that. You would, I mean, that would, make, you know, that would make somebody unbearable as a human being if they were like, <laughs> if they're, you know, someone's right. buying ice cream from somebody and you're like, you don't understand what's going on here, <laughs> right, man. Right, right. Free ice cream for everybody. <laughs> yeah. 
so yeah, so I've you know to kind of make that specific too. And 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 during my time at Cornell, um, for quite a few years, I was involved there with Students for Justice in Palestine, which is like a grassroots, non-hierarchical organization around the country, which also has um, a group at at Cornell. And we did a lot of work, and the group is still doing work. Um, to raise the issue of Palestine at a place like, well, first of all, it's it's like highly important in the States because of the relationship between the U.S. and Israel. And then specifically for Cornell also because it's, um, I think it's a pretty sleepy campus politically. And at the same time, um, it, it has these really big gestures which kind of normalize the Israeli regime and, and you know, the occupation or, or the apartheid um, situation in, in Israel and Palestine, such as the, um, the erection of the Cornell Tech campus in New York City, which is a cooperation between Cornell and the Technion, which is a university or a higher um, ad institution at Haifa in Israel. So I wanted to bring that into the concert, into the piece, into my own work. It actually preceded um, a different piece, um, which is called This Is Not a March, um, which was written for the Cornell Wind Ensemble, and it's based on the official Israeli military march, like the official IDF march that is played in ceremonies that I've heard you know, a lot as a child growing up, actually, in a military base for part of my childhood. So, yeah, those, those kind of, kinds of statements. How effective do you think it is like as a tool to convince people of a point you're trying to make? I think it's a good question, but I think it's not the right question for me, you know. Um, Phrase it in be- another way then. I mean, I think the question for me, like the way that I like to think about it is, is, is what I've said, is like bringing together, like writing music that I'm passionate about. Like that's the main thing for me. I don't necessarily expect to convert people to my own worldview through listening to a piece. This conversation has been revolving around social subject matter, right? So you must want to provide something to person X about whatever political angle you're coming from. Yeah. So what do you want to provide for them? I think in this specific piece, maybe like a space to ponder about those quotes from Said that I took. You know, actually, like you see the structure of the piece, it's even like kind of timed in this way where, you know, he would say something and then there will be this like carpet of, of music where, where not a lot is happening. You don't really need to listen very attentively to, in like a narrativized way, but you're just kind of left alone to your own thoughts. So, you know, if I, if I actually expose anyone to like the thought of Edward Said, that's great. You know, that's, okay. that's already a lot. Because they're being confronted with a piece, especially in a concert setting where they're sitting down, like they can't really, you know, they're trapped. Yeah. You know? I, I don't mean that in the bad way, but they're they're put in a space where yeah, totally, yeah, yeah, where they're ha- should be focusing on one thing. Yeah. For, you know, x amount of time. Yeah. And then just putting them in that space and bringing up political subject matter means that they have to probably think about it more than they would if they were you know, and doing I, anything else. And I think a piece will, you know, a piece like this will resonate differently in different places. Like if it were to be performed in Jerusalem, it would have like a very different resonance. And, and you know, the, the political aspect of it will become more like urgent somehow or more like even more present than, than it is otherwise. And I wonder what it's going to be like here too, because I actually didn't think about it, obviously when I wrote the piece, but, but even until recently that have, you know, to have it performed here in the Netherlands is also like a thing because, you know, in a way it's a piece like, you know, Edward Said is like the big thinker of post-colonialism and Indonesia was a colon, like a Dutch colony until like the fifties. So yeah, there's like a very, yeah. like a very recent history actually that makes it so that there is, that there are gamelan orchestras readily available here for me to use, you know, for, for this piece. Oh yeah, piece. that's true. Yeah. You know, like wow. where did those oh, yeah. come from? So there are all these layers of meaning that that actually the piece invites, but can kind of change and and shift a little bit. I wish there was some way of. I agree with what you just said, by the way. But I want. I wish there was some way to measure it, the effectiveness of a like uh, the relationship between the gamelons here and the reason why they're here. How effective it is in that you are opening up that space in your head, or if they're just like, oh, a political piece. Yeah. 
he's Israeli. Okay, that makes sense. I bet you it's about this, this, this. Right. And then they walk away and with nothing else. It, yeah. These are questions that I will have to like keep asking myself and as I continue producing work, which might be like this or might not. Do you consider yourself like a, an activist? Yeah. I mean, I, I do. You know, right now I'm transitioning to a different place and I will kind of have to... You mean like, you mean geographically or yeah, mentally? I guess both. You know, I'm leaving school in a way and and finding myself in a new country. But you know, obviously, like that kind of networking takes takes time too. So, like once I settle somewhere, um, I mean, even now I'm I'm still in touch with that group at, at Cornell and kind of from afar do what I can to support them. Yeah, I, I I would like to be more of an activist than I actually am, but. But it, it is important for me. Do you mean that in like your mental your mental space, or your actual physical activities, like time to go for a meeting? It's Wednesday night. Yeah, I think I think actually like in a very simple way, like just to just to spend more time doing it. When was the last time you had a big change in opinion about your perception of any political situation that you had previously taken a stance on? It'll be difficult to like pinpoint things i think my my politics are always evolving and it's it's like a. but do it, they evolve in a predictable way or do they evolve in a way you're like whoa man i can't believe i didn't read that article before because now that completely changes my opinion on this thing and now i have to kind of shift in order to i know. think it sort of depends on the perspective that you look at, at my politics from like you know in recent years i've been in, i'm an israeli right um who's been involved with the BDS campaign, you know, the campaign calling for the boycott of, of Israel. When I started doing that work, if you look at what I thought and what I did like six months or a year before that, then that, that would make sense. But if you, look, if you look a few years back, I was a soldier in the Israeli army too. But that wasn't your choice. It wasn't, it wasn't. You know, like I, I would like, you know, to, to present it as if I had no choice, but I actually did have a choice, you know, and, and I ended up not finishing my service either. You know, I, I left after two years, so I didn't do three. Yeah, at, at the time, I can say in my defense that it seemed like I had no choice, but I actually did have choice. What was the choice? Just to, to refuse, you, first of all. And then what, you go, to, you go to jail for some amount of time, right? Yeah, you know, which very few people do, um, but I salute them. There's actually one composer that did that too, Adam Ao, and he was in jail. I can't remember for how long. Uh, I, th I think sort of on and off for about two years. And and then there are other ways of like finding your way out of the system. You know, it's not really hermetic in that way. What was the big change in thought process that you had? Well, I mean, I think it was important for me to um, be away from Israel um, because one of the... So I keep coming back to Israel and Palestine because I think that that's, that's like close to home for me. And I think that a lot of my politics kind of evolve uh, or evolved and are evolving around that question, around that issue. But fundamentally, it's like, it's like the politics of solidarity or of a sympathy, which, which is what the piece is about. You know? yeah. It's about this viewing of yourself through the, in the eyes of the other and so on. So I think it was important for me to, to be outside of Israel. Because Israel is an apartheid state, it's really easy to not notice it when you're there. Because you know? that's exactly the way the apartheid operates. Yeah, it's, it's like, a nice little bubble. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, you know, you can be in Tel Aviv and live a very nice life intellectually and culturally and, and whatever and, um, and really not like perceive the urgency with what's happening around you. You know, I mean, you know about it, obviously, but, but don't necessarily perceive it as something that's really urgent to change. Um, so that was one thing. During the first winter break after I moved to Cornell, I, I went back to visit and that was during the assault in Gaza in 2008, the end of 2008, beginning of 2009 which was called uh, cast lead and um, 1400 Palestinians lost their lives in Gaza um, in a period of like three or four weeks, I think. And, you know, in Israel used like white phosphorus and like there was a lot of like terrible things going on. And I was there at the time I was in Israel and I felt like completely isolated in terms of what I thought and uh, like about the situation. Like I, I, I couldn't find people that, that actually resonated with what I felt at that time. It was very isolating um, because basically, you know, I kind of, you know, looking at history, I kind of, you know, thought there's no military solution, you know, to like the rockets that were coming out of Gaza and, and, and whatever. And I couldn't really find other people that, that felt the same way. And so, you know, I, I kind of realized at that point that I probably need to surround myself with like other 
people too. Like there, there was def- like that was a definite point where I felt that change very clearly. Now this is just like friends and family, or yeah, okay, yeah, like the people that I was there to see. Yeah, and so what? And you seeked out those people. Well, that that happened where I lived then. You know, it happened in Ithaca, New York, okay. and and, yeah. and then I mean these kind of like circles kind of expand. You start from Palestine, but then you end up like supporting anti-racial discrimination groups, you know, all, all kinds of other struggles that are happening in the community that, that you're involved in because you kind of have to do anything political in, in broad coalitions of organizations that are like-minded. Like if you, so actually the composers were talking yesterday. Were you there for the discussion about composition during the crisis? No, I was talking, I was interviewing somebody at that okay. time. Yeah, That was interesting because, you know, because people were talking, but it was so detached from anything other than composing contemporary concert music, which is a problem because if if you don't draw the connections between other struggles to to the one that you're struggling with, then of course going to a demonstration and, and demonstrating against, you know, budget cuts for these orchestras or those contemporary music ensembles or whatever will not yield anything. And it's also kind of a selfish argument to have. Right. What about my thing? Right. My thing is suffering. So yeah. they weren't expanding it in other in other ways. They're like, what are we going to do about composing? Yeah. That must have been frustrating. A little bit. And I, I said what I said right now there, you know, I, I, and again, I kind of hope that it didn't come off as being arrogant, but, but as like an invitation to think about, you know, other things too as, as a way of like actually really empowering yourself and, and kind of seeing that you're not alone in this, you know, but there are many other struggles that can relate to your own. Okay, well, this has been a complicated political talk, but we've been talking for a while, and thank you for doing this. Thank you. Thank you very much.